Hey everyone, welcome to Pink Shade with Erin Martin, the podcast where we talk about reality TV and we get a little bit culty. Well, one of my dreams from being a little girl finally came true when I recently got to sit down with Bobby Brown and interview her. I remember watching her on Star Search every single week for almost an entire year as she won for spokesmodel. Do you guys remember this? Are you old enough to remember this? I am. Bobby Jean Brown is one of many Bobby Browns out there. Let me tell you about this girl in case you need to jog your memory a little bit. You know her as the cherry pie girl from Warren's video in 1990. It was played on a loop pretty much constantly for at least a year. She was the longest running Star Search spokesmodel champion before that. She was a rock star, video vixen. You can see her in lots of different videos. She later married Janie Lane of Warrant, the lead singer who has since tragically passed away. She had a daughter with him, and then she was engaged to Tommy Lee from Motley Crue before his quickie marriage to Pamela Anderson on the beach. Do you guys remember that? That was pre-sex tape. Crazy times. I remember all of it and talking to Bobby and finding out some inside scoop about all of this world that I only know through, you know, TMZ was enlightening and it is so juicy. I think you guys are going to really enjoy hearing what she has to say. Bobby knows where all the bodies are buried and she's not afraid to talk about her crazy days and nights in the hairband Hollywood days. She wrote this book called Dirty Rocker Boys and she's working on a sequel to that this year or next year, very soon. She spills the beans on A-list movie stars, the rock gods of the time, pretty much everyone who she was in deep with. And she is just also a lovely person. I mean, truly underneath, she is just one of us. She's just a girl's girl and she is doing so much cool stuff these days. We catch up with her today. She tells us about her stand-up career. She is a comedian. She's very funny. And she also talks about her reality TV connection. So she was on a reality TV show that you may have watched. I've caught not every single episode, but I watched a bunch of them, especially getting ready for my interview with her. It's called Ex-Wives of Rock. It's a Canadian reality TV series that aired on Slice in Canada, and it aired on Fuse in the U.S. from 2013 to 2016. It chronicled the lives of four women who were previously married to famous rock stars, with one exception. There was Athena Lee, who's actually the sister of Tommy Lee, who Bobby has been friends with for way longer than the series. Um, She talks about the dissolution of her friendship with Athena, actually on the podcast today, and it's a very touching story. She also gets really real about her struggle with addiction and sobriety, and she just tells us so much stuff about herself that makes her, again, so relatable. She was also on the show with Sharice Neal, who she's still very good friends with. Sharice Neal was previously married to Vince Neal of Motley Crue, lead singer, as you know. She was married to Janie Lane, so that's why she was on. And also Blue, or Susan Dixon, was previously married to Jerry Dixon, who was the bass player for Warrant. So that was the cast of Ex-Wives of Rock. She talks about her experience on there and also where she's at with the women these days. If you haven't seen this series and you're looking for a good weekend binge, there's three seasons of it. And you can look on YouTube, you can look on Fuse, you can look on Hulu. You can get this content free anywhere. I've checked and it's a really fun show. I would highly suggest watching it. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. So let's talk to Bobby.
Well, I'm here today with Bobby Brown. She is the infamous cherry pie girl. You know her as a model, as an author of Dirty Rocker Boys, a book I just absolutely devoured this past week. She was a cast member of the reality show Ex-Wives of Rock. She is also the ex-wife of Warren's Janie Lane. She's the ex-fiance of Motley Crue's Tommy Lee. She's so much more than that. You know her from the infamous video, She's My Cherry Pie, played forever in the 90s. We all remember it. But Bobby is doing amazing things today, and we're catching up with her. I'm so happy you're on the show, Bobby. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was really sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to talk to you. It's kind of surreal for me because I told you before we were recording, but as soon as Gretchen Bonaducci made the connection between us, I was so excited to actually get the opportunity to talk to you because I remember back watching you on Star Search and you were the it girl. I mean, from then on, I followed you, you know, through the videos. And then, of course, I didn't know like nine tenths of the stuff that I read in your book. It was amazing. But that was that was a huge breakout uh, year for you when you were on Star Search. And that was the show before, I kind of think of it as like the birth of reality TV in a way, or the competition shows. I mean, people, people were glued to their televisions watching those competitions. And you were up for spokesmodel week after week after week after week. You write about that in the book. Do you vividly remember those days? Oh, yeah, I totally do. Um, it was pretty surreal. It was awesome. Um and I honestly was pretty devastated when I didn't win, <laughs> didn't win because I had won more times than anybody in the history of that show in any category. And they literally had to find somebody that had won m- the most times compared to me, which was three. And I had won 13 to compete, to compete against me just because there was nobody to compete against. And then I found out that she knew some of the judges and there was like a bribing situation going on and, and I didn't want to seem like a sore loser. So I didn't do anything about it, but it was kind of, um, devastating. I was just like, what, you know, but it's, you know, it it got me on TV and I got a lot of work from it, but still it was pretty shocking. Yeah. That's an interesting beginning to a career because you're winning, 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 you're breaking out as a star. And then for it to end like that, it did, it did seem like kind of a corrupt world when that happened. Everyone was like, what is going on? This makes no sense. So you did, you did find out there's some dirty dealings. Yes. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That that's an interesting introduction to the world too. You know, the world of Hollywood. It's like, that's how it works. Really? kind of like who you know, who you fuck. And I never wanted the part that bad. So, you know what I mean? I, I, you know, there's many, many times I could have, um, really soared in my, in my field. And there, that was, you know, that was the stepping stone to do so. And I just couldn't, I was like, no, yeah. And we're seeing now the aftermath of all of that with the me too and the time's up. I mean, all what women have gone through to just have a career, you know, that's pretty much the way it is. Yeah. Or was maybe not now, thank God, but, um, that's definitely, that's definitely how people, you know, got a leg up. Yeah. And maybe not for our daughters, hopefully, but it's, yeah, it just seems like it was the norm for so long, but you kind of then, so after this, yeah, you got work from it. I was reading in your book, Dirty Rocker Boys, which again, you guys out there who haven't read this yet, it's amazing. Go get it. It's on Amazon. You can get it. Um, you can order it right now. You can order it on Kindle anywhere, but you chronicle not only the beginning of your career, your upbringing, you talk about a lot about your home life, which I love. I always love hearing about you know, where someone came from in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you talk openly about, you know, 
the, the abusive stuff going on in your home, and then how you kind of come to a resolution with that, with your dad especially. I thought that was a really vulnerable and a neat arc that you went through. It wasn't just about like running away from home and, you know, giving up all ties to your family. You, it wasn't like that for you. No, not at all. Um, I, I still love, you know, I had a very supportive family still do, but, um, I love my family and that's, you know, that's all important to me. And in spite of the fact that my dad had issues and was abusive, you know, I still loved him and forgave him, you know? Um, but yeah, there was, I mean, and you never think that it's going to have an effect on you and, and your decisions, but it does. And it's so weird. You know, I used to always think that was so odd, but it really does play an important factor on your, you know, your upbringing and who you choose as a partner due to those, you know, reactions or, or circumstances. So, um, but yeah, I was, I was, um, very close to my dad and my mom still am and my my own daughter. So, um, but yeah, it was a rough, rough childhood for sure. Yeah. I can, I can relate to you. And I related to that part in the, well, the several parts in the book where you talked about that, the, the influence that having a really troubled relationship in your childhood with your own father has on your later relationships, but you, it's impossible. I don't know if you'd agree with this. It's impossible to see that while you're in it. It only, Absolutely. yeah. Right. It's like, you can't ever pinpoint that while you're in it. No, no, not I, you don't even have a clue until somebody <laughs> points out one day, like my mom said, you know, I was in this, the most toxic relationship ever right after my dad died. Basically I picked my dad after my dad died to date and, uh, and a guy, and I didn't even see it until my mom just said it one day and I just broke down and started crying. Like, she's like, you are dating your father. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, what the hell, man? So, um, so yeah, you have to become aware of it and it's really hard to do when you're in it for sure. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's good that you, you like had ears to hear that from your mom. Cause it's also hard to hear that sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I knew it was bad and wrong and toxic and I knew I was happy and I, and I knew I was better for, you know, leaving and all those things, you know, when you're in it, but you don't understand why you're in it. You know what I mean? There like you, you don't, go. yes. You got there, and you're like, I don't understand why I was even attracted to that. And then when someone points it out, you're like, Oh fuck, there. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't do it again. Right. You know? Yeah. The only thing you can hope to do is not repeat that same mistake or repeat that same type of guy next time. But you, so interestingly, you kind of chronicle these relationships in the book. Starting with, I mean, well, I don't, I don't even remember the exact order, but the big ones, the real big ones are Janie Lane, the lead singer of Warrant, who has since tragically passed away from his alcoholism, and then Tommy Lee. Now, I knew almost nothing about your relationship with Tommy Lee, and especially the crazy story about he and Pamela Anderson right on the heels of your engagement to him. I mean, that was like mind-blowing. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. That was mind blowing. Yeah, it was pretty. Um, that was the downward spiral to my, you know, demise. Pretty much, pretty much uh, ruined me. That whole breakup and the way things went down. Um, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. It really was. It was so shitty, you know. Yeah, it was like you were. Were you caught up in that whole hairband eighties kind of sunset strip scene because of the video work you were getting, or how did that all start? Because it really seems like that's the lane 
you went into and then were in for a long time? Like how, how did you get there? Um, well, it, it started from work just, you know, cause that was the whole epicenter of like, what was the biggest thing back then, which was MTV coming into its own, you know? Yep. And, um, and so to be, you know, in videos, um, was a big deal. So I would get the work and then, you know, I wouldn't meet the guys at, you know, McDonald's or whatever. I was always interacting with rock stars or, or in that genre. So then I would start dating, you know what I mean? Um, so that's pretty much how that came to be. But, <clears throat> and then after my dad died, I dated, you know, the other guy who was totally not a rock star, not famous. I picked somebody who I thought was, this is going to sound horrible, but like beneath me or not my equal in a way, like just a normal guy. Cause I thought, Oh, he's, he'll worship me. You know, he'll treat me good because he's not in this, uh, you know, in this industry and whatever. And it's worse when you do that because they don't feel like they're your equal. So they have to treat you like crap and try and bring you down to their level. It's really weird. And yeah, um, yeah they're trying to pull you down. Like they're your anchor. Yeah. So, so he was constantly being, you know, insulting and berating and all this stuff, trying to pull me down off of what I had created as my own throne. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is not, that's not okay. Now, no. the, now the, going back to the, the Janie Lane introduction, that came a, a totally different way than I realized too. I mean, when, when we all saw you in the cherry pie video, we're like, Oh, there are a couple. I thought you were already a couple when you were in that video. And it turns out, he really was hounding you forever. And you were actually dating one of the Nelson twins, Matthew Nelson, for a long time. You were in a serious relationship with him. And they were a band who was kind of had a little bit of a rising star, but then it was, it faded. And right. you brought that whole dynamic between the twins and you was also mind blowing. I mean, that Gunner was sort of out to get you and trying to sabotage your relationship with his twin brother. Yeah. Was it, yeah. that sounds really toxic. Um, it was, and it was, um, it was annoying and hurtful and weird. You know what I mean? Just, it was just all weird. It's just like, they were just too insecure. And, and you know, when I always get into relationships with guys who are competitive with me, which is weird to me. Um, and, um, so he was kind of like that. And as Gunner didn't like, not having control over Matthew because he was the more dominant of the two. And, um, he sabotaged, you know, the relationship. Yeah. And you ended up breaking up. And in the meantime, Jamie Lane had been, you've been on his radar from star search and he actually, is this true? He and Tommy Lee bet one another, like who was going to get you first. That's what he said. That's so crazy that you ended up then marrying him and becoming engaged to Tommy Lee. I mean, this is, and that had nothing to do with you. They were just talking among themselves, but was Janie, he, so he wasn't really your type, or at least you said that in the book. It was like, at first glance, you were like, no. He's yeah. He, I'm not attracted to blondes naturally. <clears throat> and neither was Matthew really, but because they both really pursued me. Um, and it's so weird because I feel like I have guy friends who do that and I just go stick around long enough, you know, stick around long enough. Eventually it might happen. <laughs> That's kind of what, what they did, you know? And, um, but yeah, I'm not initially attracted to blondes. Isn't that interesting? So then Tommy Lee was more of your type. He was definitely my type. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Your, but your marriage to Janie, it didn't last that long, but you got this beautiful daughter out of it. And because of that, you ended up having, you, you had, you stayed in contact for life. I mean, and it sounds like you really, once you, which you chronicle in the book, you went through your own drug addiction and getting sober, you became kind of a sounding board for him, especially at the end when he was spiraling. Do you feel like that you guys were brought together for that reason? I mean, it seems like you did share a life together despite your marriage being short. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like he went through a lot of, um, of moments cause he was very easily manipulated. So if anybody ever got in his ear, you know, he was that guy that like believed gossip and stuff like that. And, um, it was really weird that, so he went through a phase where he would, you know, whoever he was dating would hate on me and he would, you know, start taking on whatever their feelings were for me. And mind you, I was never mean to anybody. I was always super kind and generous to girlfriends, wives, whatever, but they always had issues with me. And, um, I think it's because, you know, he and I didn't really have the proper kind of closure. Like I still loved him, but I just couldn't, be in a relationship with my dad again, you know, <laughs> and, and especially in front of my child, that was just something I, that was, you know, the deal breaker. Like you want to act like a fool, you can't do it in front of my kids. So, you know, I would have taken it, but not, not for her to see. So, um, anyway, that's, that was pretty much, you know, how that went down. Yeah. And when you got divorced, you were not thinking of going and dating Tommy Lee. That came later. So walk us through how this occurred. Um, let me think about this. Okay. So I was, um, at the end of my relationship with Janie and on and off of like kind of doing drugs to cope. That was my coping. And I went to Miami to uh, model to do a, um, some, a shoot or something. I forget what. And Tommy was there seeing the girl who was my roommate. And, um, and but she was seeing a couple, a couple of other guys at the same time too. And so he and I, we were hung, hanging out with her, you know, obviously, but we, he and I got along really great. So then when, uh, he got back to town, he contacted my friend Sharice, who he knew was a good friend of mine and said, Oh my God, I'm in love with her. She's so awesome. And all this stuff. And then I had gotten back home and found out, you know, my husband was cheating and, um, Tommy had left a message on my voicemail. So it just kind of happened in a way that I guess it was about timing, you know? Uh, so yeah. So then that's how kind of me and Tommy started seeing each other. And you describe it as instant chemistry. I mean, you had this instant connection with him and like you, you just shared something that was almost indescribable, but he was kind of like one of those hot flames that burns. So, you know, like after a while it just burns too hot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he's got controlling issues too, like big time. So yeah, uh, and he has a violent temper, as we all know, because he, he went to jail with his the wife he married after me. Um, but yeah, and so that was you know, and, and again, I was in love with him and had to leave because of how he treated me in front of my child. So, um, yeah, so that was why that broke up. I mean, but I was still madly in love with him, um, but I just couldn't be there for my kid. And so then he married Pam four days later, and that was just just devastating for me. So that's where, so your book really hinges on that. And I think it's really brilliant how you structured the book, how, you know, kind of, it starts with that breakup because it seems like that, that started, yeah, your spiral and it changed the trajectory of your life and also your comeback, you know, like you getting sober and coming back into your own and finding out who you really are. It all seemed to start with that breakup. Yeah. 
Yes, that sent me in a sent me reeling in a whole different direction that was not planned or anticipated. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a struggle. It pretty much it pretty much started me from the the bottom. <laughs> started from the bottom. Now we're here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, person, right. That's um, that, yeah, right. But it's but it's like. Who the hell, who the fuck marries someone four days after they break up with not, it wasn't, you weren't just his girlfriend, you were his fiance. I didn't realize you guys were engaged at the time, you know, engaged and then broken up. And then four days later, he literally marries Pam Anderson on that beach. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a joke or a way to get, get at me or something. Cause he had been trying to get back together with me and I just couldn't do it. And, um, and so then when he went to follow her, to Mexico, he had his friend call me with play-by-plays. Okay, Tommy wanted me to let you know that, you know, him and Pam are about to, you know, go do this and that. And I'd be like, they deserve each other. Fuck him. How, uh, you know, because it was pissing me off, A, obviously, but I didn't think in a million years he was actually going to fucking marry her, right? I thought that was just to hurt my feelings. And when I found out that he really had, it was just like, wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And then the nightmare continues because they make that sex tape, which you allude to it not being a, an accident, maybe. And it's everywhere. I mean, that sex tape was everywhere. Every house party you went to, absolutely. I mean, you had, you probably had to watch that thing hundreds of times. Yeah, it was pretty gross. It was pretty gross. It was just like, oh my God, you know? And um, yeah, it was pretty. But yeah, he showed me uh, one of the checks that they would get biannually for that tape. Unbelievable. I mean, so yeah, somebody quote stole it out of out of their safe, but they got checks for it. Dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. That story. (laughs) I was like, is that a fucking who believes that? Like, okay, um, you're a store, you're a journalist. We're gonna invite you into our home. We're both gonna leave the room, and you're gonna wander off and know the code to our safe, and go in and and the the tape is gonna be labeled me and Tommy fucking and you're going to steal it and get away with it. And <laughs> people are going to believe that. And they did. I was like, what is wrong with everybody? They did. People really believed it. And, the, and Pam and Tommy were so adamant. Like our privacy has been violated. Yes. That's just the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. I knew it. I knew I confronted him. I was like, I don't know who you think you're fucking fooling. And then he, when I told him I had, after not seeing him for five years and we saw each other that one time, um, I told him about that. And then he smirked and showed me a check and I was like, you fucking asshole. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Well, you got, you have the proof. You see, you know, and you put it in the book. I love that you just put it all out there in this book. Did, were you scared of any kind of retribution when you were just, I mean, you, you put your truth out there, but it had a lot of names and a lot of events that I'm sure people didn't know. Did you get yeah. any kind of backlash after the publish? You know, what was this? 2014, 2013? Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, when you tell the truth and you don't, exaggerate, elaborate, uh, bend, bend it whatsoever. Like in any way, shape or form, you can't get sued or any retribution. And I didn't lie about anything. If anything, I held back. I didn't tell everything I could have, you know? Um, so, so what can anybody do? Nothing. What can they say? Nothing. They can, they could probably not like it, but what, you know, so what? That's my, that's, you know, that happened. That's my story. I'm allowed to tell it. And 
what are you going to do about it? Yeah, that's your experience. And it was all firsthand information. It wasn't like stories you heard. It was things that you experienced. Right. So when anytime people were like, oh, she's lying or any bullshit. No, I'm not. Because if I were, I'd be sued. Yeah. So one example of that is are the A-listers who we would call A-listers today who appear in your book, like Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, you have a story about Leonardo DiCaprio in there right straight at the beginning of the book, which I know that picked up a lot of steam in the press. You know, when you were doing early interviews for this, because you talk about his uh, private parts rivaling Tommy Lee's. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, It got so much. I mean, it was like a paragraph in the book, but so many people took, you know, took the ball and ran with it because he's, you know, a huge star. But at the time, he was not. He was, you know, new. He was up and coming. But, um, you know, I mean, what could he say? Like, I didn't. I could have said he was a pre-ejaculator. Right. But I didn't. I, I was very tactful in the way I worked things. <laughs> right. Right. So, you were actually. And you know what? If somebody's going to put something in a book about you, that's not a bad thing. I said he had a big dick. So what's the bummer about that, right? Yeah, exactly. I know. Exactly. But it's almost like, yeah, he became this big star since then. So, but you knew him when he was just kind of a kid. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, just a kid. Now, Robert De Niro, though, that is a different story. Am I getting this right? You ended up setting his uh, curtains on fire or his bedroom on fire? Talk about Robert De Niro. Kevin Costner. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Kevin Costner. Okay, Kevin Costner. Scratch the Robert De Niro reference, guys. Kevin Costner. Yes, this is in the book. You go over there with a friend. Was it with Sharice? Yes. Okay, so you and Sharice are over there, and... First of all, can I just tell you, Just this is just me reading the book. He sounds like such a creep. <laughs> he was um, he was interesting. Okay. Okay. I'll say it so you don't have to. He sounds like a fucking creep. I mean, yeah. I was like creeped out reading it for you. I was like, what in the hell is wrong with this guy? And I never yeah. think of Kevin Costner like that. But then again, it's like I just have this Hollywood image of him, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's so Hollywood guys. Period. Like if they're famous, you know, just like Rod Stewart, they have this whole weird thing that they do. It just, you know, they don't have to be, I don't know. He was just, I put him in his place pretty much. I pretty much destroyed his, um, any idea he ever had of trying to get with me. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. So you end up, you end up setting his, his bedroom on fire. You did a face plant in his home theater. You fell down the steps. I mean, you were, were you using at the time, right? You were using drugs. Yeah. So this was part of it. But he, yeah, he was trying to romance you and you were just like, whatever. I was a one man freak show. Yeah. What happened? Did you, did you like light up a cigarette and catch his curtains on fire? What was the story again? Tell us. Yeah. I, um, I lit up a cigarette and he had a huge fireplace. Like one, one wall of his bedroom was a fireplace. It was huge. And I figured there's no way I could miss, right? Cause it was so huge. Um, so I just, cause they were like, no smoking, no smoking. So I was like, Oh God. Okay. So I flicked it towards the huge fireplace that took up an entire wall. So I thought certainly I didn't miss, but I did. And, um, it landed on top of the mantle where he had like, um, like some floral shit and whatever. And, and something caught fire there. Oh my God. Wait, wait, you didn't notice until there were actual flames going? Like, did they have to get, uh, did he have to get like an extinguisher out or what happened? No, I beat the shit out of it with my sweater and my scarf. Oh, okay. That's right. And, you know, 
shit was flying everywhere. And then, and then I thought I was going to be really cute and like whip Sharice in the butt with, you know, with the scarf afterwards. Like after I put out the flames, like dun da da, I did that. It's fine. We're we're cool, you know. And then flicked her, but instead I flicked him in the eye because um, it was a really long scarf. My aim is really bad. Let's just point that out. Um, and then it, it ricocheted back into my eye. So it was just like, what the hell? It's time to go. Like, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Have you, know? you, have you ever seen him since that night? Never. Oh, my God. Never. And are you still in touch at all with Tommy Lee? I mean, he has obviously been in the press and a very troubled relationship with his son. Do you... Is there any kind of communication between you or is that all over? We've spoken um, a couple times this year or last year, actually, via email. We, we email every now and then for whatever reason. Um, and uh, this, this last time was because um, Athena and I are no longer speaking. Um, oh. We don't talk. Yeah, we don't speak anymore. We're not friends anymore, unfortunately. And, um, and I had gotten her children... Um, tickets and backstage passes to Guns N' Roses concert in Florida. And I guess at the last second, they, as they're on a flight, they, um, on the way over there, they say, Oh, sorry, we couldn't get the, we couldn't get the passes and tickets for you. And I'm like, um, these kids are on a flight over there right now. What do you mean? And they're like, yeah, sorry. We, you know, we sold out and we, and I was like, no, no, no. And then I thought to myself, Oh, this is going to be perfect because Athena and I aren't speaking. They're going to think I did this to try and screw with her kids. I would never do that, but just, it would probably look that way to her or some shit. Who knows? And so I just said, fuck it. I reached out to Tommy and I just told him the situation. I go, can you please call slash and, and make sure that Athena's kids are taken care of. And he said, yes. So, you know, that was taken care of. So, Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. I had no idea that you and Athena weren't communicating anymore. So let's actually transition to that. Cause I want to talk about ex-wives of rock and I want to do that. I want to give it enough time. So she, Athena Lee, that's Tommy Lee's sister. For those of you out there who don't know, she was on ex-wives of rock with Bobby. There was also Sharice Neal, ex-wife of Vince Neal. There was Bo- uh, Bobby Brown, of course, as you know, who's talking to us right now. And then there was Susan Blue Dixon. She goes by Blue, who was married to Jerry Dixon. Jerry, wait, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he the drummer or the, what, was he in? He was the bass player. He was the bass player in Warrant. Warrant. Okay, so yeah. that's why you guys had the connection, because you had the Warrant connection. Now, but you met Sharice in an interesting way. You met because Vince was essentially hitting on you, right? Yes. What um, did you do? Well, um, as soon as he came up to me and hit on me, I knew he was there with his wife because I'd seen her in the video on TV and I thought, oh my God, that girl so has the best body. She looks so awesome. <clears throat> and um, I saw them walk in together and when he hit on me, I was like, oh my God, I just literally directly walked straight, I made a beeline for her. And he came trailing behind me like, oh shit, what's she going to tell her? What is she, you know? I didn't tell her in that moment that um, that he had just done that, but I made it a very clear statement to him not to fucking do that shit with me anyway, and um, and became her friend. Eventually, That's awesome. I- so it's like you're showing her you're a girl's girl. You're not there to take her man. Exactly. That sounds a lot like what Gretchen told me when we were talking about how she used to handle Danny's, you know, cheating and philandering ways. She would. She's like, you know, you just, you, you connect with the women. You don't, you don't play that game. And I'm like, that's really smart. Yeah, exactly. 
Because in the end, look look where it gets you. I mean, the women are there with you. I mean, look, Athena, notwithstanding, it sounds like you guys are having a rocky period in your relationship. But for this show, it was all about you guys. It wasn't about the guys you were married to. It was about the women, the ex-wives of Rock. How did this come to be? Like, how did how did this show happen? Um, Lorraine Lewis um, contacted me on MySpace because she had seen um, a documentary I had co-written that had won Best Rock Documentary of the Year. Um, she saw it on VH1, and so she, she and her friend Lisa Brecker had been um, discussing, you know, doing an, a, a show about ex-wives of rock stars. And after seeing the show that I was on and, and had co-written on VH1, she reached out to me on MySpace and said, "Would you be interested in, in possibly meeting with us to, you know, discuss this show idea I have?" And I said yes, so we discussed it, and we kind of, I pulled the girls in, like I reached out to the the girls and whatever, and um, and then we kind of shot a sizzle reel. It took us about three years to get it all handled and picked up, but um, yeah, it finally came to fruition after three years, and then with one cast member change, and uh, it used to be the other, the second wife of Vince Neil, what's her name? Um, shoot, I can't even think of it right now, but. She ended up dropping out right before we got picked up, and Athena was replaced—a uh, replacement at the last minute. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so Athena was really yeah because she was pre- previously married to James Kotak, but she also had the fame from being Tommy Lee's sister. And she was married at the time that we were trying to do this, like you know, not divorced. So, oh, you're right because they were talking about weren't they separating? What did I see? Yeah, they were separating when we were filming. Yeah. Okay. That's right. And she was all about her kids and she talked a lot about her kids and they'd all hang out together. Yeah. So how did you feel about this show? I mean, this was, was this 2012 to 2014? Yeah. Um, I was all in to do it. Um, and Tommy sent me and Athena emails telling us not to do the show. Why is that? Um, do you think? Um, I think, well, first of all, he was scared of my mouth. I was, <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Was he scared? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that he just didn't realize that it really wasn't going to be about them. Yeah. You know? And, um, so, but it really wasn't, (laughs) you know, it was just kind of how we came together, came together. It was really a a show about, you know, supporting women and their friends and, and, uh, very pro women and friendships. And, um, and that's it. It really wasn't about them. And dirt. Am I right in saying that it was during the filming of this? I think you wrote about this in the book that Janie passed away. Yes, correct. And so were these women a a support to you during that time? Were they supportive? Yes. Okay. Except for Susan. She was a little sketchy, but she always is. So whatever. Um, You know, she's uh, different. So I can't even speak for her. But um, yeah, but everyone was very supportive, of course. Now, you met with Jamie before he died, and he told you some really unsettling news. He told you that he had been basically, I, I read between the lines, assaulted, you know, by a man in the industry when he was really young and just kind of an up and comer. And that seems to have plagued him along with his drug and alcohol issues through the years. Where That's right. something you never knew, though, right? Right. Never knew that. Never knew it. Um, there was a lot about him I didn't know when we were married and that, you know, eventually came to, to the surface. But, yeah, that was traumatizing. Um, I cried the whole way home, and, and it was really haunting um, to have to hear about it um, in detail, which I would never, you know, reveal. People are like, you need to reveal who it was and all this stuff. I was like, that's not my secret to tell, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I planted the seed only to make a point and, and, and that, and that was it. But I'm certainly not going to humiliate him in death. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that's a really noble thing that you, I mean, it's like you used it to explain more of what haunted him and what his demons were, but you didn't exploit it. Right. Yeah. And I, I would never want to do that to him. So now, in terms of the person who assaulted him, I mean, is this a person who I assume you need to stay away from those circles, or I don't know if that's even an issue anymore? But it seems, you know, I know you're not outing outing the person, but it seems to me like in your own life you would want to at least tell people in the know. Yeah, I mean, if anybody ever t- tells me they want to be a rock star and they want to get in the music industry, I certainly do bend their ear and go, uh, you know what? <laughs> You know, because, I mean, it's it's corrupt in every way, you know? Yeah. So, do yeah. you do you blame that scene for kind of leading you down that life of excess? Or do you feel like that was just a part of your journey and who you were going to be anyway? You know, um, I, can't, I don't blame anybody but myself because, you know, I, nobody had mind control over me. And I made my own decisions and choices in my life. And whether they were good or bad, they were still my choices. So, um, I can't blame anything or any industry or whatever for that. Um, I can't, you know, I can't really do that honestly, but I mean, who's to say what path it would have gone down had, you know, I done things differently, but they were my choices ultimately. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'll just speak from my personal experience. There's a big genetic component and, you know, your childhood, it's not just about the lifestyle you're leading. It's what you're predisposed to use to numb your pain, you know, and then some people get hooked on things and some people don't. And that's all a crapshoot too. Yeah. I mean, so many things, you know, were in, in uh, were a factor into, you know, the drug use, like, you know, being a model and having to be thin and, you know, there were many factors that, you know, that weighed in on that. So, um, and it was so easily accessible. Everyone was high back then. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do you feel like the scene has changed at all? Because you're still out there and I want to hear about what you're doing now. Cause I'm always seeing your name pop up on Instagram for like go, doing comedy shows and things like that. But do you feel like that scene is changing or do you feel like the drugs have just changed? Um, I think it's changing. I don't think it's as prevalent. And if, if people are doing it, it's way more private. Um, and just like, you know, what's her name just recently who had to go to rehab, the Demi Lovato, you would have never thought in a million years this girl was doing heroin, right? Right. Like just stuff like, I feel like people, you know, it's very private. People really are keeping things under wraps and, until, you know, something goes terribly wrong. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I don't. I do think it's different now nowadays. I do think that people are more, you know, conscious or aware of health and whatnot. Yeah, and addiction too. Yes, not just yeah. like it's not just recreational. There's like something scary on the other side of that, you know, if you don't watch out. So you've been sober now for how long? Um, I I I went off the wagon um, when I was breaking up with my boyfriend of four years last year. This is all kind of where everything transpired with the Athena thing. Um, I was going through a breakup last year. I'm going to go ahead and go into it because it's what has something to do with it. So I was sober and then I wasn't because I was breaking up with my boyfriend. I I was going to be on botched the TV show and um, they, I had to do a whole testing process and they diagnosed me with syphilis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
I was mortified. Okay. Flipping out. Um, thinking, okay, only homosexuals and homeless people get syphilis in 2018. What the hell? I've only been with one guy in the last four years. What the hell? Obviously, it's my boyfriend. Obviously, right? Right. And uh, so he gets tested and he's not, he doesn't have it. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm spending all this money on um, trying to get treatments and doctor appointments. I don't have... I don't, that was my mom. I don't have, um, I don't have health insurance, like all kind of stuff's going on. I'm breaking, kicking him out of my house because we live together. So right before this, Athena had gone on another bender and had a 5150 hold in a hospital. And I got her out of her, um, lease in, in Hollywood, moved her into my house and took care of her. Um, and you know, paid for it Took you know, had my attorney take care of it, everything. She moves in here, told her to get on her feet. And, and when she got on her feet, you know, until she could, she could stay here. Um, so she knew what she was coming into household wise when with my boyfriend in the situation. Wasn't good, right? Yeah. A lot of fighting, a lot of fighting, a lot of things going on. Well, um, she literally stopped speaking to me. She got a job working at a rehab place. So now she's has to be sober overnight which is good for her because it saved her life, I think. And, um, but she automatically stopped talking to me because I was now using and because I was going through thinking I had syphilis and breaking up, kicking my boyfriend out of my house. Now my best friend won't talk to me and she moves out like in the middle of the night type of thing, leaves the keys on the counter and never spoke to me again. In the meantime, I didn't know this, but she was talking about me to my friends and family saying that I needed an intervention and all this stuff. Never, never once spoke to me, okay, which I think is really fucked up. Um, you don't, you know, alert the media. And, and if you really care about somebody, you talk to the person. If you really are concerned about the person, you speak to them. You don't never speak to them again. You move out after this person's been your friend for, you know, 30 years. I was devastated. So I was going through basically two breakups because, you know, she was my very best friend. So it was like having a breakup. And, um, so then my boyfriend's kicked out. I'm devastated. I think I have some fucking weird ass sexually transmitted disease. I go to a specialist, never had it. It was, Oh a, it my was God. The miss uh, diagnosis. And I thought my boyfriend was lying and he was, you know, falsifying the paperwork because I'm like, this is a medical show. How could they fuck up? You know, like that. Of course they're not lying. Oh my right? God. So botched. Whoever was testing you from the botched show told you you had syphilis. Oh, my God. Yes. So I put all this money out, right, until I finally go see a specialist who tells me who only, you know, is a doctor for that specific, you know, type, you know, sexually transmitted diseases, like big, big wig guy. He was like, you've never had it. You have never had syphilis. You this was a misdiagnosis. He's like, you should sue them, (laughs) you know. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. So I have now no relationship. I'm not speaking to my, I tried to apologize and reach out to Athena. She refuses to talk to me and only talks shit about me on social media, which is another thing that devastates me and makes me think, who does that? That's so juvenile. But guess what? Her brother does the same thing. Obviously they can't talk to anybody in real life or in person and, and be 
a loving, caring person who actually cares, they go on social media. Like, that's the fucking biggest coward move I've ever dealt with. I, like, I think that's such a coward thing to do. You know, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go bitch to my fans about Talk to the person you care about. Exactly. I mean, because you guys have a long history together. Like you said, what, 30 years? Because you met when you were very young. You were first dating Tommy. And she was like, almost like a family member. And I, you have no idea, on a weekly basis, literally would be at her beck and call trying to help her. And one way or another, no matter what it was, any time, day or night, and she couldn't even afford me a conversation. And you feel like it's because she wanted to like get instantly sober and turn her back on you because you were using, but now since you have, are you, are you back on the path now? Yeah. But but she doesn't want to talk to you still. Yeah. She still doesn't. And, and she, I mean, talks shit about me to people, which is baffling to me because she's nothing bad. There's nothing bad she can say, you know, like, like petty dumb shit, you know? And I'm just like, are you kidding me? So I can't even, I can't even be bothered with it. I, it doesn't, it hurt me and bothered me for such a long time, but I have to let that go because I feel like obviously I'm a very generous person and, and I, my weakness is I need to be needed and that's how I feel love. And I never needed her for anything. And when I did, she wasn't, didn't care. And so that's not a, a true friend. That's yeah. not a yeah, so I can't be bothered with people who are using me. And I get that a lot because I'm very easily used because I'm very generous. You know, I don't, I'm not stingy with my time and my love, my money, my attention, my house, my belongings, you know, whatever. I'm a very generous person. And I feel like people in need, you know, cling to that. And it's my codependent problem that I have. So I never knew that she wasn't genuinely my friend until the tables were turned. That's and really it sad. Broke my heart. That, that yeah, is heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking because it's not like a friendship of convenience. I mean, you were, you were together for a long time. So, you know, it, it hurts, but I can't, I have to, I have to be around people who are supportive and lift me up as much as I lift them up. And I have to cut my losses. And otherwise I'm not, you know, I'm too, I'm too old for this shit, man. You yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, it's so. But you and Cherise Neal, you're still friends, right? I mean, you still connect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, she and I are still friends, and uh, I've become friends with Donna, and, and and rekindled my friendship with Gretchen, which is great. She's a wonderful person, and very much like me, which is crazy. Like I never knew that before, but she and I are very much alike. Yeah, you you really remind me of one another. How you're you're honest about your vulnerabilities. You kind of reflect on your relationships, but you're not out to like smear anyone's good name. It's just like, yeah, you've lived these really interesting lives. You've dealt with these really tough guys, but it's all, you know, it's there's no vindictiveness. I don't hear any of that. I didn't I didn't see any of that in your book, and I didn't hear that in the voice that she wrote her book with. So I, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for her book that just came out. Actually, I think it's doing really well. When I went back and read yours, I'm like, oh my God, these two, you guys really remind me of one another. Yeah. Yeah. I love her. She's an awesome person. So I'm really grateful to have her in my life right now. And, um, and I just love, I love the people I love, you know, and I love them. I love them with my whole heart. So, um, I'm grateful to have her and, and, you know, the few friends that I do have and, 
and looking forward to this whole new path that I'm trying to, you know, embark on. Yeah. What are you doing now? So tell us what these shows you're doing are, you know, you're at the comedy, you're at, you're at comic clubs a lot. Are you doing stand up? Like, what is it? What is it all about? Yes. Um, well, first and foremost, I signed the sequel to Dirty Rocker Boys that I'm going to start writing with my ghostwriter um, next month Yay! in September, which is, Yay. yeah, I'm super excited about that. Um, and, and she and I work so wonderfully together, so I'm excited to, you know, give maybe an even better, you know, second book with her. Um, she and I are excited about doing that. Um, but I started doing stand-up comedy and, um, it's going really well. And, uh, I have, I've been at the comedy store every two weeks since I started and, um, and then I'll be doing appearances, you know, for books, book signings and, um, like at, um, at, uh, cons, you know, like a uh, music con and that kind of thing, signing, I'm doing something in Portland and then I'm in Oakland, uh, this weekend coming. Um, so just doing those types of things, but really just really focusing on the stand up comedy and, um, stuff like that. How did you get into stand-up comedy? I mean, you mentioned it sort of in your book, but I know this is years ago now, how, you know, someone someone told you, like, you're really funny. And it was when you started doing Ex-Wives of Rock, and you are really funny on that show, and your confessionals, and just in your interaction with the ladies. But it seems like something you didn't realize about yourself. Right. Well, I had um, auditioned for The Groundlings in my, when I was, like, 27. And I got in on the second level with my audition, and... I was dating somebody at the time who told me I wasn't funny, so I quit, um, which is really stupid. But uh, again, you know, following the lead of you know stupid relationships, um, don't don't do that, people. And um, I just decided to go see a friend of mine do a stand-up show, and he was like, "You should really come to class." Like I take this class on the weekends, and you should really come to class. So. Um, Jimmy Shin, who is a comedian who um, has connections with the comedy store and the improv and all kind of stuff, um, was te- teach me teaching me for two weeks, taught me two classes and went, you're ready. And I was like, what? He's like, you're totally ready to go up. And I was like, I don't think so, dude. Like, it's been two classes. I'm not, I don't know. He was like, you're doing it. You're going to do it. <clears throat> so I did it. And he was like, and I've just been killing it ever since I've you know, opened twice for the headliner and I've only done four shows total. So I love so far, Yeah. I mean, are you loving it? Do you like the energy up there? That's really hard to do. Being a stand up comic is very difficult. I applaud you for that. Do you like it? It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. Um, it's horrifying in a way that I, I'm pushing myself to do things that I never thought or thought I would have the courage to do. And it's exciting to know that I'm, I'm being fearless enough to try something and I'm doing it well. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I love too, when people are constantly reinventing themselves because just because you, you know, people know you for a certain thing doesn't mean that's who you have to be the rest of your life. So this is awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I felt like I needed to do. I'm like, I, you know, I need to do something because I get really bored and antsy and I, I have to constantly be, have my handed something, you know? And, um, and I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm going to be 50. Why? I'm like, sure, let's do that at this, you know, at this time. And my mom is really, really gung ho about it. Uh, really wants me to succeed at this. And, and people have been telling me my whole life that it's something I should have been doing, but 
I just never, it's horrifying. Okay. I know, but I love it. Maybe you have, maybe this is the exact right time for you though, too, because you are at a certain point in your life where you can just say, fuck it. You know, this is me. Yeah. And, um, I'm so self-deprecating that it doesn't even matter. You know, it's like, what the (laughs) fuck? Who cares? Um, and it's super racy, obviously. Uh, um, that's just my sense of humor and, uh, and it's just going really well. I love it. So tell people, this episode is actually going to come out on Wednesday. Let's see. What's it going to come out? Wednesday, August 29th. So what will be your next show or shows after next Wednesday that they can come see if they're in the LA area? Um, I haven't booked anything yet, but it, it, um, so I just did last Friday. I'm not doing this Friday. So I would probably imagine I would be doing the weekend, that weekend coming. Okay. And tell people how they can follow you on social media. Cause I know you're always posting where you're going to be there too. So where can we follow you? Um, you can follow me at Brown Bobby or at Bobby Jean Brown on Twitter. Um, but Brown Bobby is Instagram. I have my online, uh, designer vintage clothing stores on Tradesy and Bobby Brown.net. And, um, you can come see me in Oakland this weekend or at the comedy store the following weekend or in Portland in November. Like I have all kinds of stuff going coming up. I'm so excited for you. Well, if you ever come out to the Chicago area, that's near me. So I will, or maybe I'll fly out to you because I would love to see you in stand up. I think it's going to, I think you're going to be awesome in that field. Heck, if you ever come out here, let me know. I will totally get you, you know, get you to come. I will. I will. Bobby, thank you so much for talking today. You're a pleasure to talk to. You're really inspiring. Thank you so much. You're so sweet, Erin. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Bobby Brown for coming on today. I love talking to her. I hope that you loved listening to her. I hope that you go get her book. It's available everywhere. Check it out on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Dirty Rocker Boys. And remember, she's writing another one, and I have a feeling it's going to be just as sizzling hot as her first one. I can't wait for it. You can also check out Ex-Wives of Rock on any platform, really. Just Google it. You'll find it. Check out the seasons. It's a really fun show. Again, Weekend Binge. It is perfect for that. Remember to read my recaps on realitytea.com and check out the Jenny McCarthy show every Thursday, sometimes Fridays, where I do Real Housewives Roundup with Jenny. We also cover 90 Day Fiance. And you can go over to pinkshadewitharenbarton.com if you want to find all of my links to the podcast, to my recaps, to other articles. You can email me from there. You can find my Patreon page there too. And again, I will plug the Patreon. I'm spilling extra tea over there and it's a fun way to get some even more inside scoop, some throwback recaps, some extra interviews, some information that I can only share with an inner circle. You go to patreon.com slash pink shade and you can sign up for $5 or more a month to support the podcast and to get some bonus content. I'd like to give a special shout out to our premium sponsor, Tammy Stefani. Thank you, girl. I know that you're a special fan of Bobby Brown and Ex-Wives of Rock, so this podcast is dedicated to you. All of the Pink Shade listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Erin Leah Martin. And last but not least, please join the Facebook group, you guys. It's so much fun. Come over to Pink Shade with Erin Martin. You just type that into your Facebook browser and you'll find our group. Send me a request. And as always, if you look like a real person and not a robot, bot. I will let you write in and you will have a ton of fun. Okay. I can't wait until next week. I'm going to be coming at you with an interview with Aliza Rosen. She is fantastic. She is an insider with unscripted television. 
She's going to be recapping the Real Housewives of New York with us and maybe talking some 90 Day with us as well because she's a fan. Her podcast, Reality of Reality, is nothing short of amazing. And if you haven't checked it out yet, go to your podcast app and download it right now. Subscribe, give her a great review. And while you're doing that, would you give me a great review too and five stars on iTunes? Thank you if you've done that already. I appreciate it more than you know. Looking forward to next week. I hope you guys have a great Labor Day weekend. School is starting. Can I get a witness? Parents out there, woot woot. I'm so excited. All right. Love you guys. Until next time, I will see you in reality. is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Hey, Vanessa. Hi, Casper. Do you happen to like the Harry Potter books? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Me too. That's why we started a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text where we read the whole series chapter by chapter. That's right. And we've just started book seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. If you've spent your whole adult life missing English class and you love Harry Potter, then this is the podcast for you. Listen on your favorite podcast app today. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.